welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's Weekly Podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at various places of domicile. Uh, not so much lockdown, but, you know, we're at our various <laughs> locations around the New York uh, metropolitan area. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com, the news blog of comics culture. And you can find us on social media, on Twitter, at, at @pwcomicsworld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. Uh, ambient sound outside didn't allow us to record this episode together, but um, we are not always in lockdown. That's true, and it was the first time in six months that we all together. That's right. We haven't seen each other since March. I mean, I guess that's the rest of the world, too. Yeah. But it was great. Yeah, it's great to have <laughs> outside, socially distancing, and yes. with Barada. So it was yes, very Yes, so it was all good. Don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And don't forget, you can let us know what you think of this podcast. Give us a rating. Give us a thumbs up. Send us a letter. Uh, subscribe. Please do let us know how we're doing. We love to get feedback from you, our wonderful listeners. What she said. Yeah. Seriously. And so Talk we take us. suggestions. Well, um, unless the suggestion is don't make a podcast. Um, <laughs> because we always want to, to know what you guys want to hear more of. All right. This week on More to Come. Uh, Christian Cooper and DC's digital strategy. Superstars do crowdfunding. Uh, Allegiance Comics go to Walmart. Uh, the Adventure Zone Payment Dust Up and Shonen Jump Sexual Violence Petition. So, uh, yes. So, but before we get started, I think there's something we want to talk about that we didn't get a chance to talk about, and that's Chadwick Bozeman. Yeah. I mean, it's been a couple of weeks, but the sorrow is still huge in our hearts. Uh, I mean, right after we, uh, right after we iced our last episode, the incredible news, uh, that he had died at age 43 came, and of course, um, you know, everybody is heartbroken. Uh, everyone in the comics industry, the, you know, film fans, Black Panther fans, and, and it's just, it's just devastating. Uh, absolutely. Um, I echo everything you said. Um, uh, I mean, we can go down the list of, uh, the way that he has impacted, uh, movie making, the culture. Uh, look, I, I went to Howard University. Uh, I, I responded to that. Um, his performance, uh, you know, we were fortunate. I mean, just for us here at the podcast, uh, I reposted our discussion of the Black Panther when it, uh, when it came out, a landmark film with a landmark performance by him. So uh, we will miss him, and his, his legacy uh, is really amazing. Yeah, and it's interesting that the entire time he was Black Panther, he was also fighting cancer. Yep. Like that, that at – that adds like something to the knowledge of what happened, and I don't know. I, I hope it gave meaning to him too. Well, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, you know, uh, he, him too. It did have meaning, and to so many people with his passing, and how he carried himself in life, and the dignity that he carried himself with in his life, and um, of course, he is synonymous with the character of Black Panther, and uh, just. To, I mean, there have been a lot of tributes 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh my but, goodness. Uh, com- Comixology has made uh, over 200 Black Panther comics uh, free to read, including the the Ta-Nehisi Coates run and, um, you know, some of the spinoffs like Shuri and Killmonger. And uh, I think they have some of the classic. Uh, the Christian Priest. Comics. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. that Christopher Priest comics. Yes, Christopher. Excuse me, yeah. Christopher Priest. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah. So if you, and, you know, and they're not just free to read; they're free to buy, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once yeah. you have them, you can read that Black Panther comic you like five years from now. It's yours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, so, so go on out there. They o- they only have the ones in um, individual issues to make it a little harder for people to grab them all at once. But it's totally worth it to spend ten minutes just clicking. Bye, 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 bye on all the free Black Panther comics. You won't regret it. Absolutely. So um, uh, a farewell to really – I mean it's really amazing the arc of his career. Uh, it was short and intense. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just an incredibly talented guy who just radiated the, this character particularly. I mean he did one amazing character after another from Jackie Robinson to Thurgood Marshall <laughs> to James Brown. It's kind of – it's mind-boggling, the, 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 uh, the gigantic figures of, of culture that he portrayed on the screen. And then this, this fictional one uh, yeah. may have been his best one. He really inhabited that role, uh, the, the role of a king. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and part of that's not just, oh, well, casting directors were nice to him. Like, he he curated what he chose to take, and there were apparently a lot of things that he wouldn't take yeah. in order to make room for those bigger things. Yeah. And apparently, he was a really nice guy. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen anybody say anything not nice about him. Well, that, so. is, that is true. So, yeah, you know, um, a farewell, Chadwick Boseman, and Wakanda yeah. forever. Yeah, that's right. Wakanda forever. But meanwhile, 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 uh, you know, it's been a tumultuous year in culture, in comics, in everywhere. Uh, as if you listen to this podcast, you've caught on to that part of it. Uh, and there's been a lot of turmoil, a lot of upheaval at different comics companies, and obviously the Black Lives Matter movement has, you know, galvanized people to looking at the racial disparity in the United States, and there's been some, uh, you know, some responses from the comics industry. You know, we didn't even have this on our topic list, actually, but there was two pretty huge hires last week in the comics industry of two... Uh, well, that's true, you know, we you know, sure didn't. Yeah, you know, uh, two uh, very prominent black um, executives were yeah. announced. Uh, one of them, let's see, was Nachi Marsham. Of course, mm-hmm. I always want to call him Nachi Castro because we worked together and that was his, he was a different last name then. Anyway, but Marsham mm-hmm. is his last name. So he was the publisher of IDW. And uh, a, um, you know, he has a long career at Disney. I mean, super well qualified. Yeah, job. absolutely. He's really a fantastic, you know, and as you have noticed on the on the podcast we've adw's had a little bit of a musical chair there uh with the publisher including so another announcement today but that's that's a whole other (laughs) oh yeah right yeah well they announced some some promotions today for uh joe hughes who's been on staff and um uh a new marketing uh, vp and uh, some other promotions but yeah a lot going on at idw but then at at dc they finally announced the esports guy and his name is daniel cherry the 
the third, I think. <laughs> well, and, I, did, I didn't include that in my story, but there you go. If it, I, or, I, yeah. I didn't mean to uh, mangle his name. Right. But, and he – oh, go on, Calvin. No, just what you were saying. He came from eSports. He, he seems to line up with obviously the, the, the digital focus that um, they seem to be talking about at D.C., um, yeah, and he is the general managing figure, the operational guy that's going to do that in collaboration with Jim Lee, who I guess is the top publishing guy. Right. I mean, editorial right. guy, put it that way. Yeah. So, yeah, he comes from Activision and Blizzard, their esports division. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we all were like, when this dropped, we were like, who? I mean, no one had ever. He has no publishing background whatsoever. But, Which was you know, my I, reaction. But, well, yeah. yeah. But he has a, hu- a huge, you know, marketing background. He was a chief marketing officer at Activision, yes. chief marketing officer for the New Jersey Devils. So, yeah. you know, he has a very, very wide ranging um, portfolio, and also he is African American, yes. so um, yes. you know there's never been a, a at you know DC an African American executive in this high level, so kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. and, and I do, you know, going, I do sort of wonder not not anything against him, but I, I do sort of wonder if the suits at uh, AT and T were like esports, that's geek stuff. Comics, that's geek stuff. He'll fit right in. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, I think that they're, they are looking for a guy that can map digital strategy. And they've said that time and time again. This seems to be a theme. Uh, um, Jim Lee said it uh, as well. Uh, this guy seems to be eminently uh, capable of carrying out a broad-range digital strategy. I mean, my curious thing about only is that he has, you know, he doesn't seem to have any relationship to the publishing world, but that might be a, a positive. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, his title is general manager, mm-hmm. uh, which coming from somebody with a marketing background is still kind of a curious title. But um, mm-hmm. hey, listen, change is afoot. And uh, in fact, what we did have down for our story here was that DC announced Represent, which is a a anthology of stories that um, you know. Uh, deal with some of the marginalized people uh, that need to get more attention in the world and um, that they mm-hmm. launched with a big splash. They certainly did. Uh, certainly a big media flash. You were talking about Christian Cooper's uh, yes. It's a Bird. Uh, he's back in comics, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> and for some people who may not actually have registered or remembered the name, um, Chris Cooper is the... Um, unfortunate bird watcher who went viral when someone tried to call the cops on him for, you know, not wanting to be chased around by a dog while he was bird watching. Um, but long before that ever happened, he was an editor and writer in the comics industry. Yes, yeah, that's right. Marvel. And we, we talked about him. Yeah, we talked about him before on the podcast. And yeah, he was an editor at Marvel back in the 90s and, you know, had contributed certainly some things and his sister is in, also involved in the comic yes industry. so anyway uh bobby chase and marie javens who both undoubtedly worked with him back at marvel since they worked there in the 90s uh i must have reached out to him and so uh so he is doing the first story it's called it's a bird it is not autobiographical but it's certainly based on, you know it's not his well, it's story. certainly based on the it's incident inspired by, it's, it's inspired it's yeah. inspired by uh what happened and uh some really great co co-creators uh, Alisa Martinez is drawing yeah. it and Mark Morales yeah. Emilio Lopez and Rob Clark Jr. also on it now it's just a 10 page story it's a kickoff yeah. uh, you can read it for free right now you can yep. go on uh, Comixology or Amazon Kindle anywhere That's and what I actually did. 
read I this went for to free. Amazon and get it. Yes, I mean I went and, to Comixology and got it. Same yeah. Thing so, um, but so I think you know, and they they let's see, they also say that uh, represent will um, this digital series is designed to showcase and introduce creators traditionally underrepresented and mainstream comic book medium will highlight both new and familiar voices. Um, so I'm told that DC has a lot of uh, stuff cooking uh, for this. So very cool. Uh, yeah, I, I don't doubt it. Um, yeah, and it's a digital series. Um, I think, you know, everywhere we look, people are using digital to experiment, to get people out, see what the reaction is. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we were chatting about print or not print. I mean, we'll see. This, there, there's certainly no print announced around it. Um, and there may never be print, but, um, so, uh, yeah, but, you I, know, they're not alone in doing, um, such things no. oh, not uh, at all. because Marvel is now putting out, uh, Marvel voices, indigenous voices. Um, I don't think it's come out yet, but the idea is sort of like their own spin on represent only specifically aimed at indigenous peoples. Indigenous, yeah. Yeah. Um, Definitely Native American comics and uh, possibly some indigenous folks from other places in the world. It's not entirely clear from Yeah, I think they the announced this. I think they announced this right around the same time. So, you know. Yeah, I, it came I, out well, about the same time. Yeah, I mean, they weren't, you know, everybody was having the same idea. And, um, you know. And the Marvel a, anthology, I think, is coming out in November. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's this coming out. But it's coming out. Is it digital or is it print? I think it's uh, print. It's print. It, Oh, it's print? It wasn't entirely it clear because the articles the I had print. picked it up from were actually well, – I found out about – were a bunch of actually local newspaper articles uh, interviewing some of their own like local writers and artists who had been brought on board for this, this anthology and were pretty psyched. So I wasn't sure if it was going to be a, a digital or a print book, but uh, good to hear that they're going to give it a print. Well, well honestly – does not have a huge digital first – a program unlike DC. Yes, exactly. You know, because DC has, I mean, DC has launched, um, isn't Injustice coming in print? Yes, now? yeah. So, so, yes. so, Eddie, before we went on the air, we actually had a blow up amongst the podcasters. So we said, let's save it when we're actually recording. But, um, you know, look, it's no secret that DC has been talking about really doubling down in digital comics. Yes, and absolutely. it's pretty obvious yeah. with all their moves that they don't really care about. Uh, print periodicals anymore. And so, but I'm still shocked. I mean, you know, Christian Cooper has become a national figure and I would say a very inspirational figure to people as well. Absolutely. You know, he definitely handled himself, um, with great dignity and huh. he and also forgave the woman. You know, he said, don't cancel her. She's, you know, she's suffered yeah, enough. Which enough. Is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a pretty, um, you know, forgiving attitude in today's world. Uh, so if, if there was a print version of this comic, there's no question that people would would order it and people would go into comic shops to buy it. But instead, it's digital only, and I I don't really I don't really see the reason for that. Yeah, well, I think that, well, I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I mean, it's very easy to do. Uh, the the uh, financial uh, investment is easy. You can the, the return can be incredible. Okay. Uh, you can use can it? absolutely because uh, you can use it to decide whether it's worth whether you think it's worth going into print or not. This happens all the time. That's what digital first imprints do. They yeah, but, use their they use their go on. I'm sorry. Oh no, go on it. Go ahead. 
No, I'm just saying they use their publications to decide is this is this viable in print? Is there a market for it? Is there interest? I think this is a good way to figure out at least part of your print program. So, and I, I suspect yeah. that that's what and you're doing. And you say has been, has been a – I mean uh, like like okay. Let me put it this way: there's a huge difference between web comics and digital comics. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But um, but I mean, we, we need to break it down. Some major comics, which started out as digital. I mean, the entire Bombshells line started out digital. Well, it started uh, out as a toy started line. Out, it started yeah, out, but, but the comic. Yeah. Yeah, but it's still. They, <laughs> I mean, once again, uh, I mean, uh, oh, we're going. Never mind. Justice started out digital. Like there are. There are books that made it to print that started out digital that were pretty major books. Yeah, right. and Comixology's whole program now now they're looking for print. I mean, they, you know, they're not going to do every book in print for for sure. Yeah, uh, and uh, they made a deal with Dark Horse on that. Actually. Yeah, yeah, and they've always they've had spotty POD deals here and there. I mean, that's kind of uh, the the deal with Dark Horse is interesting because they seem to have established uh, you know a place to do their digital first books in print when they choose to. But that's what digital does well. It helps you decide but, what but, part of your print program should be. Right. So, but Calvin, I'm just yes. saying, in this time, in this place, uh, with all, uh, you know, with very laudable efforts to lift up uh, black voices, indigenous voices, you know, to get more underrepresented creators out there, um, why would you not make this story available to all readers? I mean, I, I don't think it that. Is available I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that. I don't think it's free. that. I don't, I know, but I'm also saying, like, yes, okay, it was released free, and you know what, that's really amazing, but I, yeah. I it just, it just amazes me that, you know, and oh, by the way, Indigenous Voices absolutely is in print, it is not digital first, okay? Good, that's good. So, um, I'm just looking it up here, and, um, I, well, but I, I, so, more DC, people will discover it digitally than are likely discovered yes, in print. Yes, that's true. Yes, that is absolutely true. Yes, so, we're giving it away for free, 100%. So that's what you – I mean th this isn't unusual. I mean a lot of uh, – and, and I think it's a good thing. I think it's smart for D for DC and for other publishers to use digital to try to find out. I mean as part of your printing program. The, I mean so anyway, that's just uh, – uh, check it out. Uh, Cooper is a dynamic figure. I thought, I thought this initial taste of it was interesting, this interesting inspiration based on his uh, incredible experience. And we'll see where it goes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean, but I mean, you know, this is just one element Absolutely. of DC. I mean, I am Absolutely. told by my sources that there is a huge digital program that DC is launching, and um, you know, I guess the only thing that that I'm curious about for it, and I mean, you know, you and I, we've just been talking. I mean, all of us have just been talking about how their new general manager does, you know, doesn't know anything about print publishing. He knows digital. So, um, you know, that's another sign. And I would say this. Uh, what if it's not a program to see what works so that they can put it in print? What if it's just digital comics? Then that's fine. What's wrong that's with that? What's wrong with, what's wrong with digital comics? So do you think that – I mean there's nothing wrong with web, web – I would say web comics obviously are huge. I'm just saying I don't feel that digital comics in terms of, you know, oh, here is the format of a comics periodical, but we'll just put it online first. Uh, I'm not sure that format really is the moneymaker. Well, I'm not either, but I mean there's, a, there's certainly a, some market for it. Um, 
I mean, I think we're in a period now where it's okay to do things in a lot of different ways. Yes. I mean, I, you know, yes. web comics yeah. are great and they're, they do well and they, the, the process by which, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're talking to me, uh, if you're not planning to go into print, I think you're losing a huge market. That said, you can, everything is not going to go into print or needs to go into print. I think and, we're in a really great and fertile and experimental time where we yeah. can pick and choose. And my suspicion is that a lot of books that will never come out in single issues in print will probably come out in trade in print. Yes, that has been – now, that has been a very common um, – uh, you know, a pathway like Dark yeah. Horse did that. In fact, you know, as, as the pandemic raged in the early days when there were no comics were being distributed, a lot of publishers announced that they would be, um, f- you know, wrapping up some series in digital and then it would go directly yeah. to the collection. So, I mean, yeah, obviously that's uh, tried and true. I'm just it's, saying, look, it's an there's incredible a lot of, tool. Look, it's an incredible tool to have in your absolutely and if you talk to comics retailers and you know normally i'm on the other side so i've kind of shifted here (laughs) i'm digging it i'm digging it it's changed a little bit but just because i i think you know it's not like oh it'll be collected in print someday i mean it's not like this is part and parcel with dc's trade program you know they laid off the people who ran their trade program they laid off the two people who ran their reprint trade program so you know it's that i I don't see a vote of confidence there well they're not getting out of book format print that's not happening i mean if if that's what you're saying i think they're they're not getting out they're not yes they're certainly scaling back and they're going to do things in a different way but they're not getting out of i mean print is no more important or unimportant in my view in the book format now floppies that's a whole other question in the book format it's no more important or less important than it ever was um, DC has actually always, in, in many ways, been ahead uh, of the game. They're a little behind now, but they're they're really trying to catch up on the children's graphic novel style. As you see, they're you know that's kind of pushing their print side right now. So I'm not that worried about the book format side of it, the floppy side. I think we can always be a little worried about it. Yeah, but I don't well, think that that's going anywhere either. Well, well I, I'm going to be honest. I think that with the current pandemic situation the comic shops are going to take a hit for a while i mean i live in new york true where the numbers are pretty low and there are lots of comic shops and i love comic shops but i'm going to be honest since this thing started i haven't been back inside one yeah it's tough yeah Yeah, it is now that said uh some stores uh are doing i you know are doing as well some stores have numbers that are over last year because they've shifted to online and digital sales of physical comics okay and like you know calvin uh i mean the story's coming out monday in print uh friday and digital uh my story on new york comic-con right that should be out tomorrow but uh you know kevin hamrick at viz he said that viz is well over their sales are well over last year and in fact over their projections for 2020 pre-pandemic uh, yeah i'm not so, worried about print Print's no not i'm not going worried anywhere. about no i'm not worried <laughs> about print either but uh i do think it's interesting look uh, you know normally now i've been a little preoccupied this last week with uh, some projects that i had to home projects that i had to take care of so uh, i'm a little preoccupied even for this podcast but um, I will say normally, okay, this Christian Cooper comic was hit every 
uh, outlet news outlet. It was in the New York Times. It was in the Washington yeah. Post. It was in the Daily News. It was an air. It was you know woke up. It was bombed everywhere. Over splashed over the media. Normally, so remember eight wonderful years ago uh, when Obama was a guest star in the Spider Man comic. Yep. And, uh, and remember, there was a rush to buy that. Okay. Remember, people were lining right. up comic shops to buy that. And normally, if you told retailers that this comic that had been promoted in every medium known to humans would not be available for them to sell in their stores, there would have been a lamentation. And there True. wasn't a peep one. Oh, well, by the way. It's a different way, world now, too. It is a different world now. But, oh, but uh, hello, I'm talking about last, you know, but pre-pandemic, like December, okay? Also, by the way, DC shut down their retailer forum. They were so, first mm. they just didn't allow retailers to comment on it, which mm. kind of ruins the, pro, uh, the, um, you know, the purpose of a forum, but, uh, they were just sick of everybody moaning and groaning, so they just shut it down, so. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, look, I'm just saying, we, we, we've been talking about this for the past two months on this podcast. You know, yeah, yeah. DC's publishing strategy is shifting. I think Absolutely. putting this, you know, making this comic free for everybody to read online, absolutely amazing. Not making any mention whatsoever of any kind of print component for it, interesting. Yeah, just this one comic. I mean, I, 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 I think you put a lot of weight on it. That yeah, this is this is not even about comics. This is about Christian Cooper, in my view. That's why they did it. And if anything more comes out of it, it'll be because they see a developing relationship. I mean, I thought it was interesting in the interviews with him where he talked about the, his love uh, of writing a comic came back to him. Uh, he hasn't done this in a while, um, but he was saying, you know, I can still do it in it, you know, and I think it's actually not bad. Yeah. So I think I think what I mean, what I'd love to see and I would and I give DC all the credit because, look, we have a we have a medium here where we a platform where we can experiment. We can reach out to people. Uh, we can be timely. Uh, we can do it quickly. We can come up with something and then develop it over time. I mean, yes, I still think that's, that's what publishers 100%. should be doing. And, so, and it may, may be partly the turnaround time. I mean, the fact this is coming out in digital may get it out get it out faster so yeah, that they feel like well, people it, still it remember. It makes everything easier in many places. Now, does it make things easier for retailers? Not necessarily. But I also think retailers also, at least in the before times, we're realizing that digital can work to their advantage in ways that maybe they didn't, they hadn't always anticipated. Um, we've seen that over time. I think if this is another one of those examples. We're in a different world where digital is more entrenched. I'm a big fan of digital. I'm just, yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying. But I don't think, I, I don't think that she did this. Is a I, mark against print or so, or it, or no, said, I'm oh, just, we're done. It just I, means this is a, an interesting thing we can do. Well, I mean, I guess there will be more to come on this one. Yes, <laughs> Probably there will. So. Well, speaking, Probably so. speaking, oh, uh, you know, also, by the way, I, I, you know, I think it's great that Marie Javen said, you know, Bobby Chase now laid off, uh, ha, gone, but Marie Javen's, you know, like, uh, with the executive editor at DC, uh, you know, she has a great relationship with Christian Cooper. And so, you know, I, I hope we're going to see more of him. He's already exactly. made his mark in comics and, um, hopefully we'll see more of his work. Yeah. No, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Uh, uh, right. but speaking about shifting models, you know, yeah. the New York Times was all over comics, and they also <laughs> had a story uh, about uh, something that we have touched on here, uh, which is that everyone, but everyone is going to Kickstarter and crowdfunding, uh, you know, especially we talked- for comics. Yes, of for comics. 
But, uh, you know, Scott Snyder has launched his, uh, his new imprint. You know, he made like well over $100,000. Um, you know, Todd McFarlane did a, a new spawn action figure yep. on, on Kickstarter and raised like, you know, was it $1.4 million? Some crazy uh, yeah. number. Oh, excuse me. Pardon me. Uh, I'm wrong. $3.4 million. So crazy okay. number. Uh, you know, boom. A Keanu Reeves project on yeah. on Kickstarter. Now I got to tell you, Keanu Reeves can fund his own comics. He doesn't need to go to <laughs> Kickstarter, but you know. So anyway, I think that the basis of the story was kind of like, what is happening? Yeah, Alexa and Campy, I mean, David, what did hers? Almost four hundred grand. You know, Alexa, uh, Alexa, uh, yeah, Alexa Campy. Oh, Alex DeCampi, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that was the one she did with Duncan Jones, correct? Yeah, yes. Yeah, who was, a, you know, a part of a cult filmmaker. Yeah. And uh, it was like the, the sequel to his movie, his cult movie. So, you know, it had a little media tie in there. Yeah, so, yeah. So, what? So, so, celebrity touched. Yes. Yes. But, I mean, Scott Snyder's not a celebrity, and his Kickstarter for his uh, project Noctera, along with Tony Daniel, um, has so far earned $169,000, and it hasn't even hit the end of its campaign yet. So, I mean, that's significant for someone oh, who is a well-known writer, um, but not a celebrity. Yeah, well, he's kind of a celebrity comic book writer. Yeah, but, but I mean, yeah, I mean, he is a celebrity comic book writer, and... I mean, he's not a celebrity uh, celebrity, but he's yeah, a... Right, that's so, what I mean. He's, he's a sub-celebrity. Right, he's... he's <laughs> Sorry, Scott. He is, <laughs> he is a known creator in our community. Absolutely. But uh, to level. people who do not know comics, they don't know. They would not know who he was. No. No. I agree. I agree 100%. Uh, but you know, it's interesting that Times Piece, we have here uh, at Publishers Weekly and certainly here on More to Come, we have t- been talking about crowdfunding till like, you know, our jaws uh, fall off. We've been uh, talking about crowdfunding since our first episode. And uh, the article in the Times was very good in a lot of ways. I mean, in terms of looking at just this current sort of spike in interest. But, I mean, Kickstarter has changed um, the publishing landscape completely. And it certainly has impacted comics. Uh, so the article, oddly to me, to seem to see our celebrities undermining Kickstarter in some way, which I don't necessarily well, – <laughs> I, I, I mean, think... I may be reducing it, the article. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, but I, I think part of it is that – I think it's very interesting that Kickstarter's impact on the publishing industry has gotten big enough that in a publication whose reader base is much broader than our own, to be quite brutally frank, um, you know, the, this article came out. I mean, I guarantee you, dear listeners, that my mother, when I see her this weekend, will say, oh, Kate, you need to read this article about the same thing in comics. <laughs> Well, you know, that's one of the things you learn to live with when you write for Publishers Weekly. Oh, no, I, I don't mind at all, but I'm just saying that – I mind that, it. Oh, okay. Well, I don't mind it. But, but go on. It's fine. But I think that, that that's a sign of how much this is if, – if the New York Times thinks this is relevant to their broader readership, like I don't know. It's trickling out. It's having a big enough effect that it's trickling out beyond – our um our little geek spaces and into the broader world. Well, I think I think I think 
Keanu Reeves is a pretty well-known name, and so is, you know, not quite on Keanu level, um, but Todd McFarlane is a pretty well-known name. Yeah, as well. I mean, I think that's what brought it to their attention. You can yeah. make the case well, I mean, that Kickstarter's reach might even be larger than the New York Times. Yeah, uh, yeah, you could. It's a different reach, larger. Yeah. It's, so, a, it's a different it's, it's a different readership. It's a different yeah, demographic, but now it's crossing it's over. It's a global yeah, I, international readership, and it's hundreds of millions of people. And I would say the the headline on this story is comic books flourish on crowdfunding sites, drawing big names. Okay, so and then you know Keanu Reeves' name is in the deck. So I, I mean, I think Keanu Reeves is probably the the draw here. Yeah, but the Without fact that doubt. it's got Keanu Reeves, yes. and it does get this draw to the wider audience, is interesting and is well, a sign of how far it's come. But I think what really was big about the story was that people were very angry that Boom was yeah. kickstarting this comic, you know, because they are notorious for being cheap. Uh, you know, they don't pay the highest page raise. There's a lot of controversy about them um, paying people. And, uh, you know, in the story, uh, um, Ross Ritchie, the publisher of Boom, kind of defends himself uh, and just says that they're just doing it to – um, I'm using Kickstarter in a very innovative way, he says. It's a tremendous opportunity to reach a different audience. So, he, you know, he says, says we have the money to do it. He just says that they, they use Kickstarter kind of as a marketing tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're not the only ones to do this. I mean, you know, yeah. um, other some publishers were experimenting just using Kickstarter as kind of like a, a pre-order. Because pre-orders yeah. of, of books, for instance, is a huge thing. The ability to kind of list your book like six months to a year to advance on something like Amazon, it drives enormous sales. So, yeah. And it's not on. just that. It's that it, it works as a way of, of testing the waters to see just how popular it's going to be yeah, and a way of, of building up buzz and enthusiasm. Yes, absolutely. Good point. So, yes. uh, um, and, I, but I, and I mean, you know, Margot Atwell is also – Quoted yes, in, quoted, yeah. in this, uh, which is nice, you know, because uh, obviously there was some, um, you know, we all felt horrible when Kamala Zhang was uh, let go from Kickstarter very early on in the pandemic. But uh, and you know, she's she's actually helping Scott Snyder with his Kickstarter. You know, she's she's a consultant now for Kickstarters, and um, you know, she says, uh, Apple says, we see a great projects launching on the platform create more visibility, interest in other projects, yes. and uh, you know, we have a strong core of super backers. So you know, it's doing quite well. I mean, I think when when COVID hit, we were like, oh no, crowdfunding is done. But uh, no, it's not. No, it's certainly well, not done. Actually, one of the things, one, you know, excuse me. One of the things that that you mentioned about the problems um, with uh, yeah, Kickstarter's perhaps exploiting. Uh, uh, I lost my train of thought here. Uh, some of the problems here go back to the very beginnings of Kickstarter, when some people sort of decided that it was inappropriate for certain people to use it in certain ways. That publishers sort of had to read his uh, resources not to use crowdfunding. In some ways, to me, this seems to connect with that old bias against yeah. publishers using it. But I, I publishers think, are going to use any tool that's available, including celebrities, if they think that they can bring it together and create a community and sell more books. Yeah, and I, I think some of that feeling comes from people being like, you know, you you should just put that book out there. Like, why are you even going through this step? Why are you putting your hat and hand out? As if, as if this is some kind of charity thing and we owe it to you. Like, we'll just buy the book when it comes out, like, chill. Like, I, I 
get it. I get it. But that's only if you look at the model of this is an artist, I am a patron, as the only way of looking at Kickstarter. And that's certainly one way of looking at Kickstarter, but it's not the only way to Kickstarter. And I think, I hope that uh, the comics community has sort of learned that over time. That yes, there are the, the passion projects that wouldn't exist otherwise, which maybe you're going to give more dollars than the book is really worth because you just want the project to exist. But there are other viable models too, right? Like it, it's fine if somebody wants to do a spawn thing, like whatever. It, yeah, it does that in other things. It's, it's all of the above. It really yeah. It can be be a lot of different things. Yeah, and I mean, now it's so well established, you know, like people make a living helping run Kickstarter campaigns. And, you know, once you get the magic formula down, I mean, look, hey, this is a money spout, you know, but for people who uh, have a following, I mean, it's not like they're forcing anybody to buy anything. Uh, You know, people are supporting the creators and the products that they want to support, like you said, Kate. Yeah, that's what it's about. So, I mean, I so I I I I don't I don't quite understand the arguments that it's inappropriate. You know, it's not a moral decision. I guess so people want to turn it into that. But it is interesting though. I do think an important aspect of this story and part of this was this. So, um <laughs> I think deep down, even if they won't admit it, some of it is is envy and jealousy stemming from people who see it as a zero-sum game. They think there's only so many dollars on Kickstarter, and if a famous person gets it, they won't get it, and that makes them mad, right? I don't think it's a zero-sum game. I think it's from people who go like, well, nobody's going to pay attention to me if Keanu Reeves is here. Sulk, sulk, sulk. Yes. Oh, yes. The old Keanu's here. Nobody will pay attention to me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um, so the other story that, the next story that we have is about Allegiance Comics, uh, launching into Walmart. And I believe that we've talked about this before. Uh, uh Mitchell and Elizabeth Brightweiser have teamed up with an Arkansas businessman to launch these comics into, uh, Walmarts, like they went right out and they purchased some kind of, you know, rack space at Walmarts and went directly to Walmart. Uh, there's a very long story in the Arkansas Times now. Yeah. Uh, we'll so actually, Walmart I don't think they bought a rack space. It sounds like they had to pitch it to Walmart for Walmart to even allow them to carry it. Yes, that's true. But, but it's also like you, you, it's not like Walmart, because, um, you know, Jim Lee talked about this when DC did their Walmart deal. It's like, yes, you have to go to Arkansas to the, I forget where the town is. It's, you know, this, Little Rock. This, is it Little Rock? I don't, I think it's a. I thought it was. But anyway, they go yeah, to the headquarters of Walmart and they pitch their products, but that does not mean that Walmart's going to accept them, even if you're, you know, or that it's for free. I think it's like you still get rack space and you, you might, you know, you might need to, to, um, Sponsor that rack space. Yeah, um, it, it, you know, it kind of depends. It'll be hard to bear it out exactly what the terms are, but I, I think you're right, Heidi. Um, there's gone, you know, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, in some ways, they seem like they almost have a partnership with them since they're they're so new. Um, yeah, this, this I don't know how much money they would debut. have. This is uh, literally their debut. They are going well, straight well, from zero they have to Walmart. A buyer there. They may have a buyer there that thinks that you know. They well, it sounds like, extent. well, wait a minute. They, well, a couple of other background on this, mm-hmm. uh, is that, and you know, this story in the, in the Arkansas Times is very even-handed, uh, you know, it touches on some very volatile matters that a lot of other outlets would be a little bit more, 
volatile about, but I, I think he was pretty even-handed about it, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I really so. think it was a really well-done article. Yes, and I, uh, I, you know, looking at some of the other stories that he's written, uh, that's sort of his approach. But anyway, a couple different things. First off, the this is the debut, except that they crowdfunded all of these comics on Indiegogo. And mm. in some yeah. cases, they raised $200,000 on Indiegogo. Oh, so there you yes. go. Well, there you go. So uh, sure. now, but they were also part of the whole, um, you know, you-know-who gate uh, movement mm-hmm. on Kickstarter, well, you know, with each of Skyver. So that's why they got some of these huge... Well, yeah. that's well, really there's, interesting. There's, Actually, some discussion in the article. Now, it's, I don't know if people are being disingenuous here. They are making the argument in the article that they are not comic skaters. They are merely not anti-comic skaters. They're conservative. Listen, they're they're conservative people in a comic industry, which is already, yeah. They seem to try to distance themselves uh, when the topic came up. Right. The, the argument they're making is that they do not support, but they, you know, Comicsgate, but they're, they're friendly with people involved in it, and some people interpret that as being members of Comicsgate. Well, and it is entire, I mean, that's the argument they're why. making. Now, whether that's actually true is up for debate, but that's, we, that is what they are putting out there. Well, it's not up for debate, actually, Kate, because when they first went on Comicsgate, they were kind of part of all these projects that were being put out, or first went on Indiegogo. They were kind of part of this movement, all right, mm. uh, that was about getting, you know, the marginalized voices of conservative people in comics heard. Mm. And, yeah. however, but, I, wait, let them, I want to hear, but just to give a yeah. little background here, and... Uh, it seems that there is now a, uh, there is a, a break with some Comicsgate, um, fo- followers. Like, in fact, I'm, I'm, I've just found a tweet. I'm gonna have to, uh, redact a bit of it. Uh, it says, uh, tapeworm and then these two bleepers. You milked money from Comicsgate and then you disavow, betray, and turn tail. Be very okay. discerning what you back. These shitheads gave back my money after using it as part of their company's valuation. Gave back, quote, unquote, and blank you. Okay. So anyway, this could be one random tweet. I'm sure it is. Yeah. But uh, I'm just but, saying there's a couple people out there who are angry. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think what happened, I could be wrong. But I here's my suspicion. My suspicion is that there was a mo- – there's a movement of, of people wanting conservative stuff out there, and there's Comicsgate, and that's a Venn diagram. Yeah, and they were uh-huh. perfectly happy to <laughs> be assumed <laughs> to be assumed to be Comicsgate in order that they could get that sweet, sweet Comicsgate money. Um, which I mean, one could definitely make the argument that that's maybe not the most ethical stance. Right. Um, but yeah, on the other hand, they're not doing a QAnon comic, as I found out Chuck Dixon is. Mm. Oh, I can oh, no. for so much, but not uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, anyway, Beat look, goes I, on. I, I don't get into the politics of this whole group because, uh, you know, it really is like QAnon. It's all these deep state conspiracy theories and everything. And, you know, look, uh, the most interesting story about this is can this line of comics based on completely brand new, unknown IP uh, appeal to children? In Walmart, you know? Uh, and I, I mean, have to what, say, the books look like interesting ideas. Uh, I would be open to looking at them and giving yeah. them a chance. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm a little dubious 
uh, only, I mean, look, it, it seems like a kind of a nice short-term deal to get your comics distributed at Walmart. Uh, you know, I guess you'll get it in front of a lot of people. Depends on how many Walmarts they're in. Uh, the, the comics seem okay, but I mean, to me, comics well, I have that to admit- launch with that, can I finish with the, yes, the comics, uh, that don't have a clear path to, basically to the bookstore, I just don't see them as going that far, you know, but I do think this may be an interesting short-term business deal. Yeah, yeah. and this may be the first step to getting in the bookstore. Yeah, the book- it could oh, be. Well, they could probably it get could be. They're sure. in Walmart. Hello, they're in Walmart. They don't need to be in bookstores. Hello. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. you know, the thing is, you know, if you're not, well, you're only going to get certain kinds of things in there. So, but that's where, well, that's why I agree. That's why it could be a short-term great business deal because most people will be happy to be in Walmart and nowhere else. Absolutely, yeah. You know, so, that's yeah. fine. You can sell a lot of things and never be anywhere but Walmart. So yeah, uh, the the funny thing is, is I'm interested in every single title except for the flagship title, Red Rooster, which they call Batman in a Barn. I don't care about Batman <laughs> in a Barn. Well, the I others sound much more interesting. Well, I, and I liked. I was looking at Bass Reeves. You know, I mean, yes, Bass Reeves be getting a lot of play these days. Well, but, you know, media. there's a there is a quote. You know, I'm reading the story. It's a very long, very uh, you know, it's very, very long. Not well but it says you did. The moment <laughs> felt wrong, but they're printing and distributing 140,000 combined yeah. copies of the books across four titles. They pushed it on Facebook, YouTube, and held their breath. To date, about 100,000 copies yeah. have been sold at Walmart at 4.98 a comic. Uh, audience have spoken. The gambles worked. Uh, so, you know, hey, listen, if that's true, uh, Mazel tov, you know, that's, uh, yeah. that's a pretty, pretty yeah. good sale. If, if what you want is to sell $5 pamphlet comics. Well, they're not pamphlets. Though. They're not, they're not, I'm not sure what the, I, I guess. How they long are the books? They're 22 pamphlets. Yeah, you're right. They're 20, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're short. So, they're I mean, yeah. if that, now. Uh, 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 my understanding, these are serials, so I guess there's more coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, so, I mean, time will tell. Time will I mean, there's a short-term business deal. It seems interesting. Um, yeah. for uh, To build a publishing company uh, that only would serve Walmart, I mean, I guess that might be – I mean, it's great that they sell $100,005 comics across four comics. I mean, that's okay. Yeah. But they haven't, they haven't stated that their end goal is staying in Walmart and that's their only market. No, but Walmart's it, it, a hell of a first stop. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, the, I mean, I, honestly, I think if is you're a prepared, great first stop. Yeah, it's okay. Look, I think, look, I think if you're a mass market publisher with a vast mass market operation, uh, then you can make a lot of money because you can deliver all kinds of, of product to Walmart all the time. Uh, if you got a one shot little thing that hopefully will work and maybe has, uh, to me, uh, I mean, good for you, but I'm not sure you're really lurching the medium forward that much. And I think that really, um, that, well, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't really shop at Walmart, so it's not that important to me. But I know. I, I it mean, is too I, many. I, I will, it is I too many other people. See these, I will probably yeah. never see these comics, you know? I mean, well, hi, I, I think you, you need to be in the bookmark. I mean, I'm a broken record about that. If you really want to grow your business bigger, to me, uh, Walmart's for mass marketers. If you're like a little publisher, uh, you know, they're going to eat you alive. They, yeah. That's just what's going to happen. Well, so I mean, if I'm, Walmart's your only stop. But like I said, this is, this is a way to get noticed, right? Like this is a huge splash Maybe. because Maybe. there are any number of small publishers that have great books 
that just disappear in the sea of the book of the bookstore and the sea of the comic store. And you know, a lot of kids go to Walmart and don't go to comic stores. So, you know, maybe it'll get them known. Who knows? It's worth yeah, a shot. So. We'll maybe see. So. Yeah, maybe so. I uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, you okay. know, hey, listen, DC went to Walmart to try to broaden their audience. So, uh, you know, it's an interconnected ecosphere. Right. And they were like, a, yeah, exactly. DC should be at Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. So anyway, all right, our next right. story, uh, I'll let you guys I handle cr- our next yeah, story. Yeah, well, I mangled it. So I'm like, <laughs> I completely mangled it. So uh, I'm not sure I even understand the story now. Kate? Okay, so... Basically, I can I can lead off on this. So, Adventure Zone, the beloved fantasy podcast, um, is serializing. Well, I guess it's not really serializing, but they're bringing out as a series um, their various different story arcs in graphic novel format. It's been a huge bestseller, like top of the bestseller list, bestseller, yes. like. You don't expect this kind of money when you make a graphic novel bestseller. And it's made for a second a lot of money. But there's a bunch of pinup art in the back of the first volume where it wasn't just unheard of fan artists. There were a number of people who were quote-unquote fan artists who were fans who were professional artists. And they were commissioned to do pinup art of the various different characters um, at a hundred dollars a pop, which is a reasonable rate for a small book. Um, but also their contracts came with a caveat that they could not use this art as part of their portfolios for now, three years. Now, which is I, don't, I don't, Kate. I, I, there was I've seen a lot of contracts. I've never seen that. Like it said, they couldn't reprint it for three years. Okay, it's like you can even with these, you can normally use them in your portfolio. You know, even if it's, it's work for hire, if they're not their IP. Yeah. Somebody else's characters. I'm not saying $100 isn't a crappy amount of money, but I'm just saying it's like you know, like this came out on Twitter and. Um, you know, like, like immediately the event, you know, everybody was like cancel adventure zone, you know, they ripped off these artists. And then of course the McElvoy stepped in and we're like, we're going to pay them $500 like an hour later for a second stepped in and said, you know, we, it has come to our attention that, you know, we had some unfortunate, um, you know, our outmoded terminology in our payment and we're going to, you know, match what the McElvoy's played and we're going to, you know, look at our contracts and make sure. Contracts have all kinds of oddball, restrictive clauses in the end time. You know what? Finally, someone called it out. Yeah. So I I think we jumped straight into the debunking phase without (laughs) finishing out exactly what happened. Yeah, but I'm also saying none of us have read the contract, so we don't know what it says. That is true. We yes. only have secondhand done. Yes, and I, I'm just saying, I have read many publishing contracts, including licensed art, and it usually does not say you can't use it in your portfolio. I've never yeah, but, seen a contract. But for a second, you even admit it, that they've made a mistake, and yeah, they're they changing yeah, the contract. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. So, I mean, it's in a contract. It's in their contract. No, we and, don't. And, no, we do not know that that is in the contract. That is how someone interpreted the contract. Well, I mean, I think you're splitting hairs here. I mean, the fact of the matter is they they stepped in to make sure that this mistake, whether it was uh, actually there or misread, 
uh, to correct it. And but there are are oddball and restrictive com- in many contracts that are yeah, being atta- that are being attacked today. I don't know whether this was in the contract or it was misconstrued to be in the contract, but it's not unusual for there to be restrictive clauses in public contracts. Absolutely, contract. but I, you know, no, absolutely, right. uh, you know, and none I, of us, none of us are saying here in this podcast are saying that first second was predatory. To clarify. So Heidi, you, and well, I didn't even say that. Right. Right. Yeah, I didn't either. And yeah. what I was going to say is one of the things is that we talk a lot. I mean, look, social media does a lot of goofy and un- unfortunate things and, and, and terrible things. Uh, but it has given people a voice to call people out. I mean, one of the things we saw in the last couple of months is publishing paid me the hashtag, which uh-huh. was great, which made people come out and start talking about some of the practices that publishers have. And you know what? It's changing the industry. So to me, this is just another example of it where artists out there spoke up and said, you know what? We don't really think this is fair. And you know what? First second said, you know what? You're right. And, but, so so they, that's, yeah. yeah. And, and they got paid a thousand dollars. So it's awesome. Yes. Right. And, and they so make sure it's a happy it, ending. And it won't it has, happen again. I, I mean, and, I guess, yeah. I guess for me, the, the reason why this story annoys me so much, I, even though I ran it on my site, because, you know, a lot of, we, we discussed it, you know, I was like, look, hey, uh, you know, I voice my opinions. I'm voicing my opinion on this podcast, but you know, if somebody else feels strongly that this story should come out, I, I don't stand in the way of that, okay? Right. And However, and I will I'll just say, it's like, you know, to me, it's like, um, you know, these artists, I mean, it was labeled a fan art gallery. I have dealt with lots and lots of artists who don't know how to read a contract. Always get a lawyer. I get a lawyer. I have a lawyer. Absolutely. Read I love contracts. You know, it's like, uh, I, I'm just saying, in my experience, that is an unusual yeah, that now you would not be able to print it of course you can't take your adventure zone art and print it somewhere else and get you know again because it's a copyright law but you can put it on your portfolio yes, you can yeah. use it for things of course yes. to promote yourself of course yes. on, on okay. your site so, yeah so i would that not so hope. we don't know so we don't know but until okay. i would you know well, until we i know that the first second that said that they right. were going to modify the terms of their contract right. they well, said right. that okay. in yeah. their so, statement but, I, but also can i say Three yeah. years is a long time. Like that's a really long time. Not of course. To so I think that of is onerous. I mean that you know I, that that's is that's why. But that's also something that's quite common. That's right. why the people, the fact that people have a, a a place now, a platform, without getting into the kind of hyperbolic language that many people got into in the internet about this, blowing it out of proportion. I think an interesting conversation can be yeah. had yeah. about. You know, if a book goes unexpectedly huge, do the people who contributed to that, maybe is it a good idea or a nice thing to do to give them a little extra money if this book goes gangbusters the way this one did? And are they obligated to do it? No. But is it a nice thing to do? Yeah. I think everyone involved with a book, if it does really well, deserves. I mean, look, I hopefully, you, hopefully you negotiate fair rates at the beginning. Yes, you should. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's there's lots of actual predators out there, and uh, you yeah. know, like Boom Studios. Let's get to the bottom of what is the deal with Boom Studios. You know, I've never seen a story that really talked about what is the problem with Boom Studios. You know, Maybe so you should write it, Heidi. Uh, well, I I'm not going to for various reasons, but I would publish that story if I it came across my transom. Okay, if it was well. Go. Research, but listeners, also listeners, but that this is this is awesome. listen to this. If you're a really good writer and you can pitch an amazing boom story <laughs> to Heidi, now's your chance at the big so, time. 
I mean, look, the story is a happy ending. It would yeah. have had a happy ending. You know, credit where credit is due. Yeah, credit where credit is due. The fact yeah. that that first second handled it well when it came up is yeah. is kind of part of why we're bringing this up on the podcast. Yeah. Because sometimes in response to talk, the hot takes, it's time for a lukewarm take. And so, um, okay. Shifting across the ocean, Japan, um, Shonen Jump. You've probably seen it as a brand on your favorite manga, but in Japan, it's not just a brand. It's also an anthology manga magazine that comes out regularly and is aimed at the teenage market. Shonen Jump, despite being aimed at a teenage market, frequently has some very edgy content, including sexual violence. Well, there has been a very, very popular online petition now started by fans of Shonen Jump requesting that given the age and impressionableness of its intended reader base that um, sexual violence in the manga should be labeled so that you know teenagers know what they're getting into when they read a particular story and the uh, man who started the petition um, made the argument that not labeling it and not treating it like a big deal was basically sort of contributing to mm, a, a atmosphere that was casual about consent. Let's put it that mm. way. That, you know, it was, it was that to, to just sort of throw it in there and, and not highlight it might to young and impressionable people sort of contribute to rape culture a little bit. So I think that's an interesting argument worthy of discussion. Uh, no, I mean, I think it's great. I, you know, yeah. I, mean, I think that having, you know, label, I, I mean, well, Calvin's anti-label. But, I mean, I'm uh, not but, big on you know, labeling. I mean, but in America, I mean, there's it's pretty stringent labeling of manga. I mean, this was a huge thing throughout the mm, aughts yeah. when manga was, it really you know, was yeah. rising to popularity through the 90s and the aughts. So, uh, and you know, it's very stringently labeled. So, I mean, it's interesting to see it go back the other way, uh, you know, to Japan. Yeah. I mean, so I the, think that books should be categorized. I mean, I think, you know, obviously there should be kids, comics, and there should be young adult. And uh, I mean. Yeah. But these are young adult, right? These are aimed at young adults. Yeah. But that, that's what makes it kind of a, uh, uh, issue here is because it is aimed at younger readers and they don't want to take out the mature content for the younger readers who are just starting to age into it but they but you know since there's an age range of readers marking which books might contain a certain type of of yeah. adult content might not be the worst thing no it wouldn't. Um, i mean i guess i could go along with it. sure that's fine i mean i'd be curious to know what librarians think of this are they librarians generally in favor of labeling Yes. Yes. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. they're very big so, on. Of I mean, you yeah. know, obviously you want some sensible choices. The yeah, the gentleman who uh, started the petition's name is Manabu Sekiguchi, by the way. I, I want to say we should uh, wrap this up, but actually I want to give a shout out to a frequent guest of the podcast. Yes. Uh, Keith Knight. Congrats to Keith Knight. He has his TV show. Yes. He's on Hulu this week and uh, he's very much, you know, it's kind of the character in his name, Keith Knight. Yeah. And very much, you know, he's very much involved in the show. And hey, and then, you know, local boy makes good. That's, uh, you know, Absolutely. Local, local artist makes good. That's kind of cool. So we wish him congratulations. I love the show. Yeah. But, um, and, and listeners, this is relevant to your interest for reasons beyond the fact that it, its creator was a comic creator. The main character, Keith, 
Knight, as opposed to Keith Knight, is also a comics creator, and a lot of his struggles center around that. Yes. Uh, so anyway, listen, hey, uh, if you've gotten this far, please subscribe. Please leave us a comment. Uh, don't yes. forget to uh, to rate us and subscribe to the podcast because there will be more to come. <laughs>